welcome to episode 113 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Courtney Munger. Amy Greenwell. Jenny Kernutz Duran. Francesca Carendi. Pascal Lewis. Angela Paul. Lana Albury. Dana. Lisa Royals. Steph Stevenson. Tom Howley. The Sleepy Pianist. Susan. Kate Jameson. Janine Taylor. Samuel Herman. Monica Carr. Karen S. Kat. And Karen Raish. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you and we appreciate you every damn day. We sure do. And you are a group of lovely people. And today we would also like to wish happy birthday to Soraya. Soraya is a long time listener. And it's actually a birthday today, I believe. And we love you, Soraya. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. So our film review this week. Our film review is Good Night Mommy. Good Night Mommy was released in 2016. It has 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb and 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Yes, please. In an isolated house in the Austrian countryside, 10-year-old twin boys wait for their mother. When she returns, her head wrapped in bandages after plastic surgery, nothing is as it was before. Stern and distant now, she shuts the family off from the outside world. Starting to doubt that this woman is actually their mother, the boys are determined to find out the truth by any means. What were your thoughts on this film? I found it very unsettling. I don't know whether it was because it's done in a style that's not very... Oh no, it's not right. Not It's not that it's not very Hollywood, but it doesn't feel like a mainstream film so I guess it feels a bit more like an independent film and it was well acted and well scripted and I just found it quite unsettling I don't know if I enjoyed it I don't know if I'd recommend it but I found it very unsettling (laughs) that's really interesting because I have been thinking the same thing about it that I don't know if I enjoyed it I, I don't I really I really don't know and it was really unsettling and I thought about the fact that I don't know how I feel about it. And that's not in a bad way. Like it wasn't a bad film. It's just so bizarre and really leaves you feeling a bit icky. I didn't go where I was expecting it to go either. There's no exposition at all. No. This is what I realised. When you have like a modern horror film, you usually have somebody finds a diary or a letter from a person's past or they go and see a wise old crone who knows all about this particular incident that they're dealing with. In this, you've got nothing. Nothing. You are just plonked into the middle of these twin boys' world. Nobody explains anything. There's no exposition. So you spend the whole time going, is this what's happening? Is that what's happening? What's the deal with that? Why is that there? Who is this person? Really so ambiguous. I think you're picking crumbs all the way through, aren't you, really? It's a bit Hansel and Gretel. It's not like the story's not Hansel and Gretel, but it's that kind of, you're following, the, the director, writer, is leading you to a point with lots of little tidbits and you kind of have to piece it together yourself and you still don't really get a massive explanation at the end no you... I don't think you do <laughs> it's just it was such a strange film but like like you said it was very well acted it was very believable mm. and there was no synthetic horror in it nope so I was watching a video recently where two men were talking about the, the things they dislike about horror and one of them was when they use music for jump scares mm. Or there's a jump scare where there naturally wouldn't be. And in this film, 
I thought about it so much afterwards that literally last night I was sitting on the floor and I just turned to Dan and went, <gasps> there was no music. And Dan was like, what are you talking about? But there was no music in the whole film. No. There was nothing synthetic. It was just completely not something I've seen the likes of for quite a long time, actually. Yeah. It was creepy through its use of lighting, timing and violence. Yes. And questioning. And the ambiguity made it really creepy, too, because you just were in such a state of confusion the whole way through. And not in a, there's major plot holes or it's not explained very well or whatever. It's it's designed to make you feel like that. Yep. I just, I'm so baffled by this film. It is, yeah, I can see why that, I can see why you find it baffling. I understood it. I just don't know whether I would recommend it and I don't know whether I actually enjoyed it. I think I did. I think I did. I think if you're like us and you've seen so many horror films and you're, the the genre is becoming really predictable, this is a film that you should watch. Mm. Because it steps out of the predictability of horror tropes. And I'm not a film person. Like, I don't know any of the language of film. I just either like a film or I don't. And I don't care whether a film has been, like, critically acclaimed or not. I either <laughs> like it or I don't. That's just the way I feel about it. This, I'm just so... I was so... Not shocked by it, but taken aback by it, I think. Mm. I don't really know what else to say about it because it's just a strange film. I think it's one of those things that's really problematic to talk about in that if you say too much, you ruin the film. Yes. There are moments of violence in it that I found quite difficult to watch. Yeah, but it's it's by no means a violent film. No, it's not gratuitous. It's not like hostile or like sore, no. that kind of violence. But there were moments, just for a warning for people who are like me, who find violence in films really difficult to watch. Like there is violence there and it is quite hard to watch, but it's not drawn out. So you're not going to have scenes and scenes and scenes of these, you know, crippling violence throughout. That's that's not the way it's done. This is like the worst film review we've we've ever done because we're just like, yeah, it was shocking. But there's nothing else to say. I think the two boys are really good. Yes. And the mum was really good. Acted really well, I thought. And just did. I, I just felt like I was watching two two twin boys playing in the country like it just felt so genuine like all their play scenes yeah just felt like what two kids would get up to if they had that amount of space and time and freedom resource (laughs) yeah they just were playing around being normal kids and completely believable yeah i also found the progression of what happens very believable too Mm. even though you don't get an explanation you can understand (laughs) their 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 brains absolutely oh this is so hard to talk about so what what would you give this film out of five? I think three. Oh, interesting. I think it's a very well done film and it probably deserves to be scored high, higher. But I don't think I'll revisit it anytime soon. And I'm not entirely sure whether I'm recommending it because I don't know whether I liked it. <laughs> I'm go- I think I'm going to say four. My reason in being, I complain so much about films being samey yeah. and films being predictable that if you are somebody who likes horror films, this is an unpredictable, very different film to watch. And like you, I don't know whether I enjoyed it, but I was engaged by it the whole way through. And I spent the whole time trying to figure out what was going on. And even though I still don't know whether I enjoyed it, it kind of ticked the boxes for something fresh and new and different. So okay. there's, I'm giving it a four. All right, I'm going to bump up to three and a half then. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to our story this week, which is nothing to do with the film. I was going to say, it can't have any relation to that (laughs) film at all. (laughs) I don't know what, what I could possibly do to, in order to link it to this film, but... This is a story that I wanted to do for a very long time. Okay. And I finally bit the bullet. And it's a lot more difficult to talk about than you might actually think. Okay. So, do you know anything about the Paris catacombs? Um, I, I, bit. We watched that film, didn't we, when they went down there? As above, so below. <laughs> yeah. Would have been perfect for this week's episode, but you know... <laughs> Uh, yeah um, other than that no I don't like I kind of understand it from little tidbits here and there I've never been down there I, I, I probably won't go down there because I'd imagine there's lots of rats down there and that sounds horrible to me but yeah it fascinates me because it's like there's so much down there <laughs> so for this episode we're going to do a little bit of history just briefly because okay. I think it's really important to understand I didn't know where the Paris catacombs came from. I'd never looked into it. I sort of just assumed they existed, (laughs) you know, but they came from somewhere. So we're going to do a bit of history and then we're going to do some stories of the Paris catacombs. Are you ready? Yeah. Paris, the city of lights. When we think of Paris, we think of beautiful French cuisine, fine art, romance and the sparkling lights of the Eiffel Tower. Most of the time, we don't think of death and decay. But the reality is that Paris has an official population of about 2 million people. But the unofficial population is much higher, around 8 million to be precise. But where are those 6 million secret inhabitants of the City of Lights? Well, they're dead. The bones of 6 million people line the maze of underground tunnels that make up the Paris catacombs. In the 12th century, the Holy Innocent Cemetery was built in Paris. As is often the case in big cities, outdoor space was limited and was becoming more and more limited as people flocked to Paris to make their way in the world. Eventually, the Holy Innocent Cemetery became overwhelmed and the decision was made to shirk individual burials in favour of giant mass graves that held up to 1,500 bodies. This seems like a good, albeit undignified, plan. And so officials continued with open mass graves dug and filled ad nauseum. And it worked. For a time. The creators of this room-saving scheme didn't live to see its outcome, but the people of 17th century Paris certainly did. The bodies, stacked high, simply weren't buried deep enough. And in the 500 years that had passed, more and more bones began to protrude from the soil, and the graveyard was literally littered with the skeletal remains of Parisians long past. But that wasn't the worst part. Decomposition is a fascinating but also complex process, and it needs to occur in the right conditions. The graveyard was full to the brim with human remains that weren't buried deep enough, and noxious fumes leaked into the air above the soil, which disallowed for any oxygen to enter the soil. Soon the graveyard was not only full of human bones, but it was also full of a substance called corpse wax, which is exactly as inviting as it sounds. This posed a huge problem. The air was noxious, and the surrounding area smelled horrific so no one wanted to live or set up shop there, 
and Louis XVI was eventually forced to take action when a nearby basement wall collapsed and bodies spilled into the building from the graveyard. All of the graveyards within the city walls were closed and there was a great turmoil over what to do with the bodies that were publicly rotting in Holy Innocent Graveyard. But the answer was obvious. They would just put them deeper underground. For two years, workers exhumed and moved millions of bodies from the Holy Innocent Graveyard to the winding catacombs that existed under the city. But where do these catacombs come from? And why are they there? The answer is actually really simple. They're mines. Paris was built from limestone, which was mined from beneath the city as far back as Roman times. It seems bizarre that a city would be built on top of a series of mine shafts and tunnels, but it was. Because as time passed, people simply forgot the mine shafts were there. And it has resulted in some really interesting Parisian laws. For example, if you buy a house in Paris, you also buy the ground and the tunnels beneath it. So that if the house collapses into the caverns, well, it's your own fault. The same engineer who mapped the tunnels in the 1700s was also responsible for the removal of the bodies into the tunnels. Initially, the bones were simply stacked into the tunnels, but eventually the workers created decorative designs with the human remains. When you visit what is now known as the ossuary of the catacombs, you are greeted with walls stacked high with skulls and femurs and bones made into beautiful shapes like hearts. There were a group of people who benefited greatly from the moving of the bodies. And that was the candle and the soap makers. They relieved the city of tons of corpse wax and used it to make soap and candles to sell back to the inhabitants of Paris. Before we get into the ghost stories, there are a couple of stories I stumbled across while researching this episode that aren't necessarily creepy but are definitely interesting. For obvious health and safety reasons, the catacombs are mostly closed to the public, but also because of the Parisian law that states that if you buy a house above the catacombs, you also buy the ground beneath it, entering the catacombs comes with the risk of trespassing on private property. You can have a guided tour of around 1.5 kilometers, but the rest of the 350 kilometer area is off limits. But that doesn't stop people exploring them secretly. And these people are known as cataphiles. The tunnels are home to regular raves, parties, art installations, and secret performances. In 2017, a gang of criminals used the catacombs to dig their way into the wine cellar of a rich Parisian townhouse and stole €250,000 worth of wine. But the most interesting group of cataphiles began their explorations in 1981, when six teenagers pulled off an incredible stunt. They used the tunnels to mine their way into the Department of Telecommunications in Paris and stole one singular item, the complete map of the catacombs. The group became known as Les UX, or the Urban Experiment. They became an established group, which now has subdivisions and groups with dedicated tasks. In 2004, police in Paris were conducting a routine training session in the catacombs, when they were suddenly met with the disturbing sound of a pack of howling dogs. Determined to continue the exercise, the police made their way deeper into the tunnel, seemingly abandoned for centuries. 
As they neared the end of the tunnel that opened into a cavern, they were halted in their tracks. It wasn't just a cavern anymore. It was a fully functional cinema, complete with a bar and a restaurant. Lazy Wex had carved seats into the stone walls, built a working bar and a small restaurant, hooked the place up with electricity and phone lines, and the dogs they heard? They were a motion-triggered warning system to give cinema-goers time to escape if their event was discovered. The police returned a few days later to find the entire cinema dismantled and the only trace was the seats carved into the stone. Over the years, Lazy Wex became dedicated to restoration projects and at one point they secretly restored the entirety of the Pantheon clock to complete working order. Fascinating as these stories are, we're here for stories of things that go bump in the night. And in this case, things that go bump in the night deep, deep underground. Six million bodies were unceremoniously dug up and piled beneath the city. But the catacombs have claimed lives of unwitting people since then. When you approach the infamous ossery, there is an inscription over the door that reads, Stop. This is the Empire of the Dead. In 1990, a group of cataphiles were exploring the catacombs and came across a curious little item. They found a video camera sitting in the middle of one of the tunnels. Naturally curious, the cataphiles took the camera and brought it along their journey. When they eventually got above ground, they removed the tape and were delighted to find that the tape was still intact. But their delight turned to horror when they watched the footage. The footage was grainy and dark and it appeared that the camera was being held by a singular person, most likely a man, who was on his own deep in the tunnels. They could tell that he was deep in a part of the tunnels that is only frequented by the most experienced cataphiles because there was no graffiti on the walls surrounding the man. But it was the sounds that really disturbed the cataphiles. The man was clearly lost within the tombs. He was panicked and breathing heavily and suddenly he dropped the camera and ran, sprinting through the tunnels. The camera continued rolling until eventually the tape ran out. The cataphiles took the footage to a filmmaker and they launched a search for the man. But with 350 kilometre of tunnels to search, they knew there was little chance of finding him alive or finding him at all. And he was never found. But there is something striking about the video which has caused it to remain in paranormal conversation. And that is that there are many who believe that the video depicts a man being chased. And if that is the case, who or what could be chasing someone deep in the tunnels beneath Paris? There are those, of course, who believe that the footage is fake, and some who believe that the footage was faked by the filmmaker in order to spend some time in the limelight. But whether it is real or fake, there are numerous people who have become lost within the catacombs. During the French Revolution, a man named Philibert Apser was the caretaker and doorman at the Val de Grasse Hospital. Philibert knew that the monks 
kept liquor down in the catacombs and decided that he would take it upon himself to go and collect some. It's probably reasonable to assume that he was likely drunk, but regardless of his state of inebriation, Philibert ended up becoming lost in the catacombs. He wandered the tunnels, with only a candle to find his way, and instead of making his way back to the surface, he went deeper and deeper into the warren of dark corridors, until eventually his candle snuffed out, and he was alone, in the pitch-black darkness, with no hope of finding his way out. He'd died down there, alone. Eleven years later, a group of cataphiles found his decomposed remains. The only identifying feature left was the large key for the hospital that was hanging from his belt. Philibert was buried where he was found, two metres away from an exit. And it is said that his soul is not at rest. It is believed that every year on the 3rd of November, the soul of Philibert is seen wandering the tunnels, with only a candle lighting his way. Cataphiles have reported a disembodied male voice whispering in their ear, trying to tempt them further into the tunnels and others have reported candles being snuffed out as they light their way through the maze. The other most prominent ghost story about the Paris catacombs is the voices. Many cataphiles advise that people don't visit the catacombs after midnight because of the voices. It is believed that if you visit the tunnels after dark, the whispering voices of the remains that reside there try and coax you further into the shadows, so that the tomb can claim another victim. Stop. Where am I? Stop going. Quickly. Quickly. Stop. Where am I? Quickly. Quickly. Stop. Where are you going? It was tricky to find stories of people's experiences in the catacombs. Cataphiles tend to be secretive about their activities in the tunnels because many believe that too many people visiting leads to the desecration of remains, whether accidental or not. They also believe in keeping the tunnels free from rubbish and waste. But there was one place that I found stories about what lurks in the tunnels. And admittedly, that was the Ghost Adventures Season 9 special. (laughs) The episode centres on the found footage video from 1990 and the belief that the man was running from something in the tunnels. What is interesting about this episode is the eyewitness accounts that emerge from it. Thomas Benini was born and raised in Paris and was a regular in the tunnels. I always imagined that it would be like a rite of passage for Parisian teenagers to take a trip into the catacombs and scare themselves silly. Benini was exploring the catacombs with some friends when he realised that one of their group was no longer trailing behind them. They had somehow left him behind in the tunnels and being experienced cataphiles, they knew this was bad news. Benini turned and sprinted back to where they had come from, terrified that his friend had become turned around or injured. As he ran, he tripped and landed flat on the damp, rocky floor of the tunnel. He looked up expecting to be greeted by his friends to help him up but instead stood just in front of him, was a man he had never seen before. He was wearing full 18th century dress and watched Benini silently. 
He raised his hand and pointed at some writing on the wall before disappearing into thin air. Benini scrambled to his feet, completely shocked by what he had just seen. The writing on the wall was a signature and a date, there since 1777. It was the mark of Charles Guillemot, the engineer who was originally tasked with mapping, stabilising and subsequently moving the bodies into the tunnel. Guillemot has been seen many times wandering the winding tunnels of the catacombs. I've always been vocal about my feelings about ghost adventures, and the episode quickly descended into allegations of a governmental cover-up of a creature that lives in the tunnels, but it did lead me to a curious little tale of a woman who claimed to have been abducted by a creature in the tunnel in the 1940s. And this section of her testimony was taken from the website Live Journal. There are those who will claim I am insane. They will testify that I am mentally ill and unable to remember those weeks in the caves. I wish I could erase those memories from my mind, but the world must be warned. The monsters are down there. We must destroy them before they destroy us. I was a young woman of 19 years of age in 1943, proud of my ability as a student and eagerly looking forward to marrying a young man who planned to be a physician. One night, we planned to meet at my fiancé's office building, join another couple and have dinner in a small cafe. I arrived a few minutes late at my fiancé's building and the old man who ran the elevator had left for the day. I decided to operate the lift for myself. I stepped inside to inspect the controls. There were no symbols to indicate whether the lift went up or down by moving the lever one way or another. Light-hearted and in love, I decided that if I ran the elevator into the basement, I could reverse the controls and go up the other stories. I made an error, and the elevator stopped in a dark basement. I reversed the controls, but my hand slipped, and I accidentally pushed on the down control. The elevator suddenly plunged down below the basement, falling through space as if the cable had broken. After a rapid drop, perhaps several hundred feet, the elevator stopped with a sudden lurch. I was so frightened as I fell onto the floor of the cage, sobbing and screaming. Through my terror-stricken mind, I heard a loud, guttural noise on the other side of the elevator door. The elevator door was torn open with a vicious slam and I saw the most horrible beast in the world. The memory of that monster haunts my mind and at night I cannot sleep without sedatives or sleeping pills. The face was of a pale, whitish colour. It had a short, twisted body that was covered in thick, bristly hair. The eyes were piggish, insensitive to any emotion and gleaming with evil. The creature was fat, almost bloated. There were terrible scars and running sores all over most of its body. It had no neck, so its head seemed to be placed squarely atop his muscular shoulders. The face was the most horrible portion of this terrible features. It was much too large for its body and totally devoid of hair. The skin was scarred and wrinkled. Its nose was fashioned more like a snout. It was nude and its body looked like it never worn garments. A filthy animal smell filled the elevator. Mercifully, I fainted into unconsciousness. I had never known what happened in the elevator. 
do they use it for an entry into the outside world? The woman then goes on to describe a plight that would not be out of place in a sci-fi B-movie, where she's held captive along with other women by these vile creatures and is eventually rescued by alleged starmen. On closer investigation, this tale of kidnap into the catacombs came from a book about the hollow earth theory and is likely used as pseudo-proof for their claims, something which is conveniently left out of the TV show. And it's also likely to be used to push other modern anti-Semitic rhetoric like the theory of the lizard people. But parts of the legend have prevailed and have caused many to question the existence of cryptids living deep in the catacombs. But for today's episode, we'll finish on a short but interesting little ghost story. Nick Platt went to a rave in one of the caverns of the catacombs. In the heady atmosphere, someone left off a smoke bomb which split Nick from his friends. In a corridor, coughing and spluttering, he suddenly realised he was completely alone and it was completely silent. He felt the panic rise in his chest. He wasn't familiar with the catacombs and he knew what the danger was. Suddenly from the smoke, in front of him an arm reached out to grab him. Thinking it was a friend, he extended his hand, hoping to be led from the smoke, and to his horror, his hand passed right through the outstretched arm. The catacombs are a strange place without any doubt. Originally a mine and then turned into a graveyard and then a bizarre, macabre public spectacle. Whether you believe the catacombs are homes of strange creatures or spirits that beckon you to your doom... Or if you're Zach Bagans and you believe that it's definitely home to a demon, there is one thing for sure. The catacombs are an incredibly dangerous place. And if you do decide to make a visit, you better make sure that you bring a catafile. It's the sheer scale of them that just scares the bejeebas out of me. I'm going to say one thing about that Ghost Adventures episode, right? And I and I know I took the piss a bit in the in the storytelling, but... I mean, genuinely, there's there's a lot of reaching going on in the episode about what could possibly be going on. But it is the one episode that I, I haven't watched Ghost Adventures in a long time, but you genuinely see Zach being actually frightened. Mm. And the whole persona drops. They're trying to illegally get into the catacombs and he is really quite frightened to go in because he's saying, if we get lost down there, no one knows we're there and we're never going to get out again, which is true. Yep. Like that's, that's the reality and you're putting your trust into these these people that you've never met before who are claiming to be cataphiles and it's it's an interesting one to watch because the the whole persona drops and he suddenly is just a real a real genuine person who is genuinely frightened it doesn't happen very often either i feel like zach and his well with the exception of aaron who i generally feel is quite skittish like me um i think they've got to a point in their adventures where we are with horror movies yeah probably <laughs> where it's just like oh it's another evp it's another another ghost standing in front of me and they so yeah but i it's, it's, it is the what it is the scale of the catacombs that scare me more than anything else just the fact that there's hundreds of kilometers of tunnels yeah 350 kilometers of tunnels and fair play to lay um ux or whatever they're called Lazy UX, it's the urban experiment they're called. Yeah, fair play to them for like mapping it. And I love the fact that they went to the effort of breaking into something and stole one thing and it was the map to the rest of the 
the rest of the cackouts. And the really what I found fascinating about Lazy Rex is they did start as like you know rebellious teenagers, but throughout the years they have grown up and continued. So yeah. they haven't like gotten to their late twenties and gone. Okay, we've had enough of this now. They've continued with La- with Lazy Rex, and they have like an all female branch called the Mouse House, whose specific job it is to infiltrate buildings and places but they do it all for good like they like they do restoration projects and even when they restored the pantheon clock they got loads of like old school clock makers and watchmakers involved to help them do it like how bizarre and brilliant yeah and very i always feel like in the sort of stereotypical way that's like the real sort of romantic side of the french i think that they just you know, like if you if you map it back to the French Revolution and stuff like that, overthrowing a monarchy and it's just doing things in that artistic, creative way. I like it. I like it. It's good. Um, I think it's probably haunted as anything down there. But I also feel the ambience of it is probably adds to any creep factor that's going on. It looks like a really terrifying place. Yeah. So when I watched, I watched loads of videos of people exploring the catacombs. And holy moly, like it is, it's so dangerous. Mm. And I don't think you can quantify the like sheer amount of remains there are. Like there's just bones everywhere. And I read somebody's experience where they said you suddenly will come across a skeleton that very clearly has a bullet hole in the skull. Mm. You know, like that's crazy. And those were real people. So it is I think it's very likely to to understand that when people go down there they might experience things because of the whole atmosphere. Yeah. I so the majority of right, a lot a good chunk of those bones came from mass graves and and that would be the resting place i don't know whether the haunting comes from those bodies or from people that have died down there since um i'd imagine there's probably as with every element of society there's probably the dark element of society that probably uses it to dispose of people as well because it's so big and unmapped and private you can imagine you can see like gangsters disposing of their enemies down there and stuff like that yeah you could drop somebody into literally into a well and say right see you later yeah there was a really horrible story so animal lovers brace yourselves where they were in the exploration of the catacombs um i don't know if it was the the guy who was originally mapping them but he found a really tall pile of animal remains and he was thinking what the heck and it was all remains of cats and he couldn't understand what was happening. So he mapped it on the surface and got to a really posh, well-renowned restaurant who were incredibly famous for their rabbit meat. And it wasn't rabbits at all. It oh was my gosh. poor local cats was what it actually was. <laughs> which is awful. <laughs> like that's horrendous. And Vim is rolling around in. In horror. In horror, yeah. She's so shocked by what she's just heard. <laughs> but it, it was surprisingly hard to find ghost stories about the Paris catacombs. That's interesting. I wonder whether people were less inclined to talk about it because they shouldn't be down there. Yeah. So I've seen that video though, incidentally, and whether or not it's faked, it's if it is faked, it's genius. And if it's not faked, it's terrifying. The video from mm. 1990 of the guy lost, yep. allegedly lost in the catacombs. Yeah. That is a very... It's a, it is a very alarming video, like you said, whether or not it's real or faked. If it's faked, it's a really good way of faking it because he clearly recorded it and then left it to be found. Yes. Which is clever and you've got to give him kudos for that. If it's real, it's terrifying for two reasons because 
it's terrifying on the sort of normal plane in that that guy is potentially so frightened and so lost that he never got out. And he dropped his only source of light. And you're seeing his last minutes. Or he's actually being chased by something. Not like, I don't actually think, I don't think there is cryptids living down there. I believe that probably at one point in time, there was probably people that were shunned from society living down there because why not? Like the Edinburgh tunnels because there were people who were shunned from society living down there and all sorts of criminal activity Mm. and crazy stuff went on down there. So I, yeah, I'd believe it. But I, I don't think there's a cryptid down there. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was running from a spirit. Yes, or just was so panicked. Yeah. That he was imagining things. Either way, it's horrific and terrifying. Like, aren't good parts of it flooded as well? Yes. Yeah, see, that's that makes it even worse because you, you walk into things and you don't know the depth of them and it only takes you miss missing your foot, slipping, hitting your head and you're unconscious underwater. Yeah, and that's it. That's Done just, and dusted. I, yeah, the thought of just the thought of it in its physical existence scares me more than anything about being down there. There's a, a really lucrative business in the catacombs. I believe it's still active and it's mushroom farming. Hmm. How cool is that? Makes makes sense, I guess, because it's dank and dark and... Lots of decomposing bodies. Yeah. Fungus loves to eat decomposing things. Yep. So mm. uh, brilliant. Hmm. Such a strange little story. Like if you, if we went to Paris, I, I definitely would go on like the public tour. Oh yeah, I'd do the public tour. I'd, I wouldn't like it, but I'd do the public tour because I'd feel a bit safer because I, I don't, you know, public liability insurance means that you can't take too many risks. <laughs> and the public part of it is incredibly well looked after yeah. and maintained and it's only 1.5 kilometers is all they show you. Yeah. And actually the, the um, committee that was set up back in the 1700s to map it and look after it is still going to this day. Not that they're, you know, 300 years old. Because that that's as Maybe in the are. people. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret of the catacombs. If you drink the water, you get everlasting, everlasting life. life. But, so, but the rest of it is, I would never in a million years. No. Even if I had a really experienced catophile who said, hey, we're going to go down into the catacombs. Do you want to? I, no. No. No way. I, th- I just wouldn't be brave enough. It gives me the hedge of us thinking about it. And it's not even paranormal. Like I, my, my fear isn't from the paranormal for once. It's actually just from... I think it's that I don't suffer from claustrophobia, but I understand it when I think about the catacombs. Like that gives me some kind of understanding of what people who experience claustrophobia feel, I think, because it's just that idea of being trapped, isn't it? Completely trapped with nowhere, no way to get out and nowhere to go. Mm -mm. Don't like it. Do you not like it? There is one thing that I need to say, actually, before we finished talking about the Paris catacombs which are most definitely haunted by the way like there's there's no two ways about it and that is when you hear these stories you know so the the story on ghost adventures about the woman being attacked and dragged underground by the cryptids I was like wow why where why have I not heard about that story before and then I looked into it and I was like oh because it's actually when you read the whole story it's wildly anti-semitic and was definitely some sort of propaganda <laughs> and also reinforces the hollow earth theory so yeah. just you know i included it and also included the fact that it was from the hollow earth uh, book and that it you know the, re- the 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 entirety of the story is actually incredibly problematic but just when you when you do come across these stories wherever they are try and find the original source because it will tell you loads about where that story has actually come from and why it exists And if you enjoyed this week's episode, 
You can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send us your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of super creepy, funny, ridiculous, extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.